Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to Wicked Problems, a show about climate tech. The intersection between technology, capital, people, and politics that will shape our future and whether you'd want to live in it. Everything we've been seeing this year, the wildfires, the extreme storms, etc., are things that IPCC has projected in previous reports, but it's happened much, much more quickly than we expected. And it's not only the obvious you can see on your television screens, it's the measurements that scientific scientists are making about air temperatures, the temperature of the ocean. We are in very exceptional territory. What does that mean, then, for, for, for these next meetings, for the COP meetings? What are you looking for? Well, the, the next COP28, every COP has a different character, and I think uh, given the next one is taking place in the Middle East, there will be a big emphasis on technology and innovation. For October 24th, 2023, read for you by the author Richard Delavan. Look at problems. The climate tech newsletter, some people are saying, aspires to kind of dark energy. Asim Youssef, they used to melt Piers Morgan's brain in that interview last week, which, if you haven't seen it, you really should do yourself a favor find that once you listen to this and listen to the whole thing right let's get into it will new disclosure rules force more change than cop 28 what you measure you manage and yeah there really was a 1909 conspiracy to kill solar first friend of the show john reynolds has a great exclusive interview with energy impact partners london-based nazo musa and dublin-based arthur pierce in the currency about eip's play in irish climate tech congrats to professor niall mcdowell on launching Xeron a new London San Francisco consultancy with deep CCUS carbon removal offsets critical minerals and sustainable fuels expertise, along with Shell veterans Siri Crouch and Sheila Graham, an ex-UK civil servant, Laura Hurley. And in property news, researchers report a great opportunity to invest in beachfront real estate. In Baton Rouge, Brussels, born in Lincolnshire, currently 25 miles from the sea. Thanks to new British Antarctic survey findings, showing the West Antarctic ice sheet is going to collapse, even if we cap global warming at 1.5 degrees C, resulting in a 5-meter sea level rise that's now baked in. The only question is when. But now, looking back on 2023, which will have had the more lasting impact on climate? A flashy update, or dismal failure to reach consensus out of COP28? Or a bunch of slow-burning legislation and rules emerging in different jurisdictions that, slowly but surely, Move climate solutions from voluntary to mandatory, 
from PR to IR, from CSR marketing to legal compliance, from the CMO to the CFO, from Twitter to the courts. IPCC chief sets COP28 expectations. In his maiden interview this morning on BBC Radio 4's flagship Today program, newish IPCC chair Professor Jim Ski outlined his expectations for COP28 in Dubai. Ski's first in the role. First first outing on Today, Ski was concise and diplomatic, but left the informed listener in no doubt where he expects to be disappointed at COP. His key points. Things are happening faster than expected. It's happened much, much more quickly. And it's not only the obvious you can see on your television screens. It's the measurements that scientific scientists are making about air temperatures, the temperature of the ocean. COP28 will have a particular emphasis. Every COP has a different character. And I think uh, given the next one is taking place in the Middle East, there will be a big emphasis on technology and innovation. The countries there are very uh, concerned uh, about uh, hydrogen, carbon capture and storage. Adaption and loss and damage will have big momentum. I think one of the biggest issues that is going to come up there is the question of how we adapt to the climate change that we are going to see and how we deal with the losses and damages that will still be there after we've exhausted all our opportunities to adapt and how these damages will be paid for. Any side deals, like tripling of renewables by 2030, are just that, side deals. And I guess you could say he's not holding his breath about new emissions targets. I think uh, the big momentum is going to be, as I said, on adaptation and uh, loss and damage. Uh, I will wait with bated breath to see whether we see more ambitious targets coming out in terms of emissions reduction by 2030, which is the time scale for the, you know, the current targets that we have at the moment. I expect we're going to see side agreements on things like renewable energy targets, but the headline numbers on emissions, as I say, I wait with bated breath to see what comes out. Reaching net zero date is actually less important than how many gigatons of stuff we stuff up there in the meantime. Well, one very important point to be made, it's not the time that when you get to net zero emissions that matters. It's the total amount of greenhouse gases you put into the atmosphere before you get there. So if you wait to the last minute, then it will be the case the world will be warmer than it otherwise would have been. So it's absolutely the case that the pathway matters. And we've constantly said we need to have ambitious action, but we also need immediate and rapid action if we're going to uh, uh, comply with the, the kind of goals that were set in the Paris So delaying target dates goes against that then? It would be preferable to get on as quickly as possible. Otherwise, the world will be warmer than it otherwise would have been. He also refused to be drawn into singling out Gulf states, saying there's plenty of poor performance on emissions targets from every part of the world to go around. Given the collapse of loss and damage funding talks on Saturday, one of the supposed achievements out of COP27, it was a bit surprising that Ski would put hopes there for big momentum. As Cypher's Bill Spindle reported last week, middle-income nations just getting ready to exploit oil and gas deposits and placing big financial bets are amongst those most resistant to keep those deposits in the ground. Countries including Mozambique, Ghana, Tanzania, Senegal, Uganda, Mauritania in Africa, and Guyana in South America are expected to push for a middle path that includes both fossil fuels and renewables. In related news, the We Mean Business Coalition gave the FT's Attracta Mooney a good scoop in the form of a joint letter Tuesday from more than 130 companies representing nearly $1 trillion in revenue. The letter says that while the much-talked-about side-deal goals are great to ramp up renewables, increase efficiency, and 
help diversify energy sources in the global south to leapfrog fossil fuels, they shouldn't be allowed to distract from the main challenge, that is, phasing out the use of unabated fossil fuels. That the side deals might wind up being the most positive headline out of COP28 is also telling. Given the insane momentum of solar PV in particular, we documented earlier this week, which along with EV adoption, one of four new cars in California, one of five in the UK, one of five in the EU, is happening quickly, the momentum behind the transition is now mostly driven by market forces, almost none of which can be credited to the formal COP process per se. Which isn't to say it's the fault of COP. As Steve notes, it has a feature that's either its great virtue or its fatal flaw. Complete consensus is required. Only actions by individual governments have enforceability, which is interesting. What you measure, you manage. It seems obvious that if you were serious about climate solutions, you'd need to have some idea of the real scope of your contribution to the problem. Unless, of course, you're smart enough to realize that quantifying your emissions is the first irreversible step to taking what was previously a free negative externality and converting it to a handy way others to hold you responsible for doing something about it. Many readers won't have heard of SB 253, one of a bunch of California climate bills signed into law this month, but it requires about 5,000 companies with more than $1 billion in global revenues that do business in California, including, about to get much bigger after swallowing up Hess for $53 billion, oil supermajor Chevron, but also most of the major tech giants, including Alphabet, Apple, Meta, to report on all their emissions, not just so-called Scope 1 and Scope 2, the emissions over which companies have the most direct control, but Scope 3, which means disclosing the emissions from your entire supply chain and your customers as they use your product. Sounds reasonable, right? This is some woolly-headed, badly thought-out ESG investment thing that sounds great to the Wolkarati, but falls apart under its own conflicting objectives, which created a target-rich environment for so many oil-soaked U.S. red state attorneys general and legislatures that it gave rise to green hushing. This is just numbers. Let's just have the facts we can agree on so we can have a starting point. And yet, many big businesses fought two-year rearguard action to lobby to defeat the measure. Less wonky name, the California Climate Corporate Data Accountability Act. Opponents included Meta, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, along with Shopify and Cisco, paid lobbyists, here's a link to their disclosure form and the text, to try and defeat the bill, as did Chevron, which paid at least part of its 1.2 million lobbying budget from this spring alone in the state to try and kill it, alongside other old energy business lobby groups. That law, plus a potentially even more intriguing one in SB 261, which requires companies to quantify and disclose their climate balance sheet risks, is a time bomb under efforts to delay and distract. Because it's California, soon to be the world's fourth largest economy if taken on its own, what it does sometimes becomes a de facto national standard in the U.S. and beyond. As one observer told Yale Climate Connections, I think this is a really big deal, said Lynn M. Lopucki, professor at the University of Florida Law School, noting that the Securities and Exchange Commission has been working on its own corporate disclosure rule for years to no avail. Lopucki, who recently had a paper published in the UC Davis Law Review on the shortcomings of voluntary reporting of greenhouse gas emissions, said that once the California law takes effect, it won't matter what the SEC or other states might do 
because nearly every large company in the United States, and editors note much of the world, that does business in California will be forced to report its emissions. So this really is a national bill, Lopaki said. That reality was seized on by lawmakers seeking to push the SEC to get its own reporting requirements into action. In a letter to the SEC chair, they argued that because California is going to force companies to do this anyway, it removes any argument that a federal or national level reporting requirement would impose a new burden. The passage of SB 253 virtually eliminates the cost of compliance with a federal scope three disclosure requirement for all businesses operating in California with over $1 billion in revenue opening the door for the SEC to ensure that investors receive fulsome, reliable disclosure from public companies on their emissions up and down the supply chain, says the letter. And last week, the EU Parliament pushed back a last-minute attempt to weaken a requirement that some 50,000 European businesses require this type of emissions reporting as of January 1st, 2024. Several observers noted the California law is much more exacting than what the SEC is considering. It's much closer to what the EU has now confirmed it is doing. Perhaps a California carbon border adjustment mechanism is next. This type of regulatory alignment between a single U.S. state and a supranational EU doesn't make for easy headlines. But on the level of effort to defeat them gives you some idea about their potential power. Once you measure something, kind of own it. As semaphore's Tim McDonald put it, greenwashing used to be easy. A company could say just about anything about its environmental impact and face much scrutiny or fact-checking. But it's getting harder. EU climate disclosure rules that require at least 50,000 companies, including some headquartered in the U.S., to publish details about their carbon footprint starting in January are adding to the coming wave of climate data. They're crashing down mealy-mouthed promises. Earlier this year, California outlet Capital in Maine underscored the wider implications. As scrutiny of the fossil fuel industry has grown, companies have cloaked themselves as climate warriors, said Melissa Ronzik, an associate professor of media studies at Rutgers University who studies the history of the industry's public relations strategies. The public has caught on to the squishy climate claims in recent years, but oil majors still often announce actions or aspirations that are impossible to measure. These are efforts to sidestep real rules regulation, or other frameworks to actually hold these companies accountable, Aronzik said. The irony is that it is a very simple need that we have, which is to phase out fossil fuels. It's straightforward. A reporting gold rush. That's leading to an explosion of compliance offering from the expected raft of professional services firms, like Deloitte and other big consultancies, to big mega law firms like Denton's. Prashant Rao in Semaphore recently pointed to other players like Schneider Electric and Octopus, also seeing adjacent big data opportunities. Newcomer Latitude Media had a great GridX interview with Drew Murphy of Edison Electric, which is already consulting the utilities, Alder, and Pharma about how it's going deep into their supply chains and existing apps to optimize for the coming reporting requirements. Quiet March of the Rulemakers is less dramatic than whatever you'll see come out of Dubai but it promises exactly the kind of regulatory certainty COP doesn't. And that'll be a goldmine for UK climate fintech startups, both helping to standardize measurement, predictive analytics on what actions might move the needle, improving these emissions outcomes, and indeed, in a theoretical carbon market where integrity was established, like some in the UK are fighting to achieve, how to accurately match the emissions problem with multiple solutions. 
As SIFT had reported earlier this year, the UK has been a leading destination for investment in climate fintechs, with 64 million invested to May of this year alone. Expect a lot more to come. Pursued by a barrier. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Massive kudos to Oxford postdoc Suganda Srivastav, who in her research unearthed a 1909 conspiracy to suppress solar panels involving an actual kidnapping and extortion plot Canadian inventor George Cove created in 1905 a solar panel and crude battery that enabled a week's worth of household electricity to be collected on just two sunny days. Funnily enough, in 1909, he was kidnapped and told before he was released to the Bronx Zoo in New York that he'd have to suppress the patents he'd received on the tech. He was released and died penniless and unknown. Srivastav ran the numbers using Wright's Law to estimate what would have happened if the research had kept going. I hear a pretty conservative estimate we would have achieved the kind of solar PV efficiency gains now at least 20 years earlier. But hey, who'd want to do something like that? If you've read this far, we hope you found something interesting. Why not share it with someone? Or even get yourself a nice free cop subscription by encouraging some friends to check us out. We hope you'll join us again for the next edition of Wicked Problems Podcast with myself and co-host Claire Brady. And we hope you'll continue to read. Give us your feedback. You can find us at wickedproblems.uk. Send us your thoughts on the things we should be covering. Be good to yourself and get the jump on that real estate bargain of the century. Have a great day.